0: This is the I Am Fortress Podcast, episode seventeen Head over Heels. I uh, just got done having a great. Workout session, then a prayer session that led to a singing session, and and now we're gonna finish this uh, nice time to myself with a podcast episode. Praise God. So, my last episode was made during some lows in my life, in my mind. So as you can see it had somewhat of a depressing tone but sometimes you have to express you have to use the moment to get a point across so something good had to come out of it so I made a podcast episode So what I want to talk about today is falling in love head over heels <clears throat> with Jesus Christ it's the greatest love anyone could ever experience I have experienced it I have felt it I have seen it work I have seen it in action I have seen God do what he does and it's a beautiful thing so I am the farthest thing from perfect, and I don't deserve to be able to talk about His love. I don't deserve to be able to minister to you, but here we are, and I'm going to get over my unworthiness and look at the fact that He thought I was worth dying for, so obviously, I'm worth something. With that being said, I feel that I am called to minister to you today, as I have been ministered to in this dark season of my life which some people would probably say why in the word is it dark well I'll tell you um, I don't find it easy to be cooped up in the house so uh, I know my pastor can vouch for me on this it's not fun being alone it's not fun being cooped up especially when you've got a workers heart and you want to get out there and make stuff happen And you're stuck inside the house doing nothing. Now, the worst part is, though, there was a lot of things I could have done in the house, and that was even more discouraging, was that I kind of embraced the laziness. And complacency set in, and that's why I made that episode, Don't Dance with the Devil, because basically what happens when you're lazy and you're complacent is that you become the devil's playground, Trust me, it's the truth. Do not allow yourself to go as low as I have been these last two weeks. Because all laziness does is it leads to your mind running. Whether you maybe have some anxiety or depression or lustful thoughts or sinful thoughts or thoughts about your old life or something like that just going on deep down in your head that you don't know about. And then when you start being lazy, that's what happens. That old junk that you used to be will start rearing its ugly, nasty head up in your life. And that's no bueno. And no, I'm not saying that uh, I just decided to leave the church and I'm I'm out of it. No, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't be making this podcast if I did. So uh, I do know that his spirit still influences my life. And I'm not giving up on him and he hadn't given up on me. But I want to use myself as an example because you can start getting hinted by your flesh that it's starting to get a little stronger here. It's time to time to let the phone sit down for a little bit and let the laziness sit down for a little bit and pick up that good old Bible or pick up your prayer life. Um But this is what I find. This is what's so interesting is <clears throat> excuse me for my raspy voice I've been practicing with my vocals and I have found that the only way my voice sounds good is either if I'm singing country gospel music or if I'm singing Christian rock <laughs> so I've I've been uh, experimenting with um, my uh, screamo Christian rock voice, I guess you could say, uh, and it has left me a little bit um, raspy. <clears throat> um, and also, that was the 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 it was really just me singing at the top of my lungs while praying. I just I got in such a a mood with God; it was so beautiful <clears throat> um, today. So all of this pain was worth it. Because I will tell you the darkest moments bring the brightest days. <clears throat> but again, that's not exactly what this this lesson's about. This lesson is about falling in love, head over heels. So uh, let me get uh, back on track here. <clears throat> falling in love, head over heels. The story of you and Jesus Christ. <clears throat> the story of Of you in Christ. I am at my desk, and one of the things that I have here is a book called The Jesus I Never Knew. And the reason I want to bring up The Jesus I Never Knew, it's a good book, for one, it's a very good book, but Another thing is it talks about the Jesus that a lot of people don't talk about. And that's the thing. So many people just look at Jesus as this God that had mercy on us and came down in flesh, wrapped himself up in flesh, and then died for died on the cross for sins, yea and amen, blah, blah, blah. That's literally how it seems like a lot of people view God. But they don't see the part where Jesus was man. They don't see the part where Jesus is just as much human as you and I. So, one of the things I've decided to do is, now that my desk is somewhat clean, I did some art today, so I got some books strewn around. I am going to read a little bit of Philip Yancey's The Jesus I Never Knew. I've got the hardback here, and it's got A little cover on it. The cover's got like a prelude kind of thing going on. So I'm going to read this and give you an idea of what this book's about and what I'm about. And what this falling head over heels in love with Jesus is about. Philip Yancey helps reveal what 2,000 years of history covered up. What happens... When a respected Christian journalist decides to put his preconceptions aside and take a long look at the Jesus described in the Gospels, how does the Jesus of the New Testament compare to the new rediscovered Jesus? Or even the Jesus we think we know so well? Best selling author Philip Yancey says The Jesus I got to know in writing this book is very different from the Jesus I learned about in Sunday school. In some ways, he is more comforting. In some ways, more terrifying. Yancey offers a new and different perspective on the life of Christ and his work, his teaching, his miracles, his death and resurrection, and ultimately who he was and why he came. Relating the gospel events to the world we live in today, the Jesus I Never Knew gives a moving and refreshing portrait of the central figure of history. With a willingness to tackle difficult questions, Yancey looks at the radical words of this itinerant Jewish carpenter and asks whether we are taking him seriously enough in our own day and age. From the manger in Bethlehem to the cross in Jerusalem, Yancey presents a complex character who generates questions as well as answers a disturbing and exhilarating Jesus who wants to radically transform your life and stretch your faith. The Jesus I Never Knew uncovers a Jesus who is brilliant, creative, challenging, fearless, compassionate, unpredictable, and ultimately satisfying. This honest book will help you discover a different Jesus from the flannel graph Sunday school figure, the sweetly smiling Victorian savior. And all the cultural cliches that have tamed Jesus and kept him in comfortable religious boxes. According to Yancey, no one who meets Jesus ever stays the same. In the end, I found the process of writing this book to be a great act of faith strengthening. Jesus has rocked my own preconceptions and has made me ask hard questions. Excuse me about why those of us who bear his name don't do a better job of following him. So, why do we need to know Jesus? Why would someone go beyond the word of God and what he's been told all of his life about Jesus and go and search for himself? Well, here's why. And here's why you should. And here's why even me just reading this is not enough. You need to read your Bible and you need to seek God's face. Because the thing is, the only way to really fall in love with someone is to get to know them. And it's sad but true that this society, this modern Christian society, doesn't really love God. They either serve Him out of habit, they serve Him because they feel it's the right thing to do. Or they serve Him because they want to get to heaven. Which, while all of those reasons are good, the only reason God wanted us in the first place was because he wanted someone to love him for who he is. Not for what he can do for us. Not because we want to get to heaven. Not because we're scared of him. Because we want to make it to heaven. We don't want to go to hell. Oh my goodness. We got to do everything right. Because we don't want to go to hell. That's not what this is about. So, if you are in that spot where everything you do about God is because of a heaven and hell thing, then you got it all wrong. I've been there. I've done that. Everything I I was overzealous, and I didn't fall in love with God, I feared Him. And while it says in the Bible to fear Him, that form of fear is a form of respect. He wants us to respect Him. For who he is. But how can you respect someone if you don't know who they are? So it's time to get into the book. We're going to begin a little bit into Chapter 1. I'm, of course, I'm not going to read this entire book because um, I'm not sponsored by Philip Yancey. And I'm not sponsoring him. But, of course, it is a very good book. It's a good read and I want you to go and buy it. Or find a way to read it or rent it or whatever. Go to Goodwill or something and find it. Because I believe that's how I got this book. was going to Goodwill. Go to a thrift store or a uh, used bookstore and find this book. I, I, I beg you, give it a read. It's a good one. But again, keep an open mind while reading it. Don't just read it for what it is. Think about it. Think about it. Wrap your mind around it and see what comes out of it. But always do it in prayer. Don't sit there and come up with an idea of what God is and be like, well, the Bible's wrong, this is what it is. No, that's not true. Because if this author did what he was supposed to do, it's going to end up lining right up with the Bible. So here we go. Before beginning this book, I spent several months in three seminary libraries, one Catholic, one liberal Protestant, one conservative evangelical reading about Jesus. It was daunting in the extreme to walk in the first day and see not just shelves, but entire walls devoted to books about Jesus. A scholar at the University of Chicago estimates that more has been written about Jesus in the last 20 years than in the previous 19 centuries. I felt almost as if the hyperbolic comment at the end of john's gospel had come true jesus did many other things as well if every one of them were written down i suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written the agglomeration of scholarship began to have a numbing effect on me i read scores of accounts of the etymology of jesus's name discussions of what languages he spoke debates about how long he lived at nazareth or capernaum or bethlehem any true-to-life image received excuse me any true-to-life image receded into a fuzzy, indistinct blur. I had a hunch that Jesus himself would be appalled by many of the portrayals I was reading. At the same time, with great consistency, I found that whenever I returned to the Gospels themselves, the fog seemed to lift. J.B. Phillips wrote after translating and paraphrasing the Gospels, I have read in Greek and Latin scores of myths, but I did not find the slightest flavor of myth here. No man could have set down such artless and vulnerable accounts as these unless some real event lay behind them. Some religious books have about them the sour smell of propaganda, but not the Gospels. Mark records what may be the most important event in all history, an event that theologians strive to interpret with words like propitiation, atonement, sacrifice. In one sentence, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. Odd, unpredictable scenes show up, such as Jesus' family and neighbors trying to put him away under suspicion of insanity. Why include such scenes if you're writing hagiography? Jesus' most devoted followers usually come off as scratching their heads in wonderment, who is this guy? More baffled than excuse me, conspiratorial. Jesus himself, when challenged, did not offer airtight proofs of his identity. He dropped clues here and there, to be sure, but he also said after appealing to the evidence, Blessed is he who takes no offense at me. Reading the accounts, it is hard to find anyone who does not at some point or another take offense. To a, to a remarkable degree, the Gospels throw the decision back to the reader. They operate more like a "who it," or as Alistair McGrath has pointed out, a who-was-he, detective story than like a connect the dots drawing i found fresh energy in this quality of the gospels it occurs to me that all the contorted theories about jesus that have been spontaneously generating since the day of his death merely conform the awesome risk god took when he stretched himself out on the dissection table a risk he seemed to welcome examine me test me you decide And that is out of the chapter of the book, The Jesus I Never Knew, called The Jesus I Thought I Knew. come now to chapter 14 it starts with a quote from Edward Shalito the other gods were strong but thou wast weak they rode but thou didst stumble to a throne but to our wounds only God's wounds can speak and not a god has wounds but thou alone. A few pages in to chapter 14, it says, I conclude my survey of Jesus with as many questions as answers. I certainly have not succeeded in taming him for myself, let alone for anyone else. I now have a built-in suspicion against all attempts to categorize Jesus, to box him in. Jesus is radically unlike anyone else who has ever lived. The difference... In Charles Williams' phrase, is the difference between one who is an example of living and one who is the life itself. To sum up what I have learned about Jesus, I offer a series of impressions. They do not form a whole picture by any means. But these are the, these are the facets of Jesus' life that challenge me and I suspect will never cease to challenge me. A sinless friend of sinners. When Jesus came to earth, demons recognized him. The sick flocked to him. And sinners doused his feet and head with perfume. Meanwhile, he offered pious Jews with their strict preconceptions of what God should be like. I'm sorry. Meanwhile, he offended pious Jews with their strict preconceptions of what God should be like. Their rejection makes me wonder, could religious types be doing just the reverse now? Could we be perpetuating an image of Jesus that fits our pious expectations but does not match the person portrayed so vividly in the Gospels? Jesus was the friend of sinners. He commended a groveling tax collector over a God-fearing Pharisee. The first person to whom he openly revealed himself as Messiah was a Samaritan woman who had a history of five failed marriages and was currently living with yet another man. With his dying breath, he pardoned a thief who would have zero opportunity for spiritual growth. Yet Jesus himself was not a sinner. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven, he taught. The Pharisees themselves searched in vain for proof that he had broken the law of Moses. He had defied certain of their traditions, yes. But at his formal trial, the only crime that stuck was the one he finally acknowledged has claimed to be Messiah. I view with amazement Jesus' uncompromising blend of graciousness towards sinners and hostility towards sin because in much of church history I see virtually the opposite. We give lip service to hate the sin while loving the sinner, but how well do we practice this principle? The Christian church has always found ways to soften Jesus' strong words on morality. For three centuries, Christians tended to take literally his command to resist not evil, but eventually the church developed a doctrine of just war, and even holy war. At various times, small groups of Christians have followed Jesus' words about disposing of wealth, but most of these have lived on the fringe of a wealthy church establishment. Nowadays, many of the same Christians who hotly condemn homosexuality, which Jesus did not mention, disregard his straightforward commands against divorce. We keep redefining sin and changing the emphasis. At the same time, the institutional church expends much energy positioning itself against the sinful world outside. A term like moral majority only sounds appealing to someone already included in it. I recently attended a play based on stories from a support group comprising people with AIDS. The theater director said he decided to stage the play after hearing a local minister state that he celebrated each time he read an obituary of a young single man believing each death to be yet another sign of God's disapproval. Increasingly, I fear, the church is viewed as an enemy of sinners. All too often, sinners feel unloved by a church. That in turn keeps altering its definition of sin, exactly the opposite of Jesus' pattern. Something has gone awry. We're going to skip to the next portion here the God man. would be easier, I sometimes think, if God had given us a set of ideas to mull over and kick around and decide whether to accept or reject. He did not. He gave us himself in the form of a person. Jesus saves, announced the bumper stickers. Imagine how ridiculous it would sound if you substituted Socrates or Napoleon or Marx. The Buddha gave his disciples permission to forget him as long as they honored his teaching and followed his path. Plato said something similar of Socrates. Jesus, though, pointed to himself and said, I am the way. Another one. Portrait of God. George Buttrick, former chaplain at Harvard, recalls that students would come into his office, plop down on a chair and declare, I don't believe in God. Buttrick would give this disarming reply, sit down and tell me what kind of God you don't believe in. I probably don't believe in that God either. And then he would talk about Jesus the corrective to all our assumptions about God. The Lover Left on my own, I would come up with a very different notion of God. My God would be static, unchanging. I would not conceive of God coming and going. My God would control all things with power, stamping out opposition swiftly and decisively. As a Muslim boy told psychiatrist Robert Coles, Allah would tell the world everyone, God is great, very great. He would make everyone believe in him, and if someone refused, he'd die. That's what would happen if Allah came here. Because of Jesus, however, I must adjust my instinctive notions about God. Perhaps that lay at the heart of His mission. Jesus reveals a God who comes in search of us. A God who makes room for our freedom even when it costs the Son's life. A God who is vulnerable. Above all, Jesus reveals a God who is love. On our own, would any of us come up with the notion of a God who loves and yearns to be loved? Those raised in a Christian tradition may miss the shock of Jesus' message. But in truth, love has never been a normal way of describing what happens between human beings and their God. Not once does the Quran apply the word love to God. Aristotle stated bluntly it would be eccentric for anyone to claim that he loved Zeus or that Zeus loved a human being for that matter. In a excuse me, in dazzling contrast, the Christian Bible affirms God is love and cities love as the main reason. I'm sorry, reading too fast here. In dazzling contrast, the Christian Bible affirms God is love and cites love as the main reason Jesus came to earth. I knew that didn't make sense when I read that out loud. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we may live through Him. Also, we see him a little bit down here, still same chapter, portrait of humanity. When a light is brought into a room, what was a window becomes, a, becomes also a mirror, reflecting back the contents of that room. In Jesus, not only do we have a window to God, we also have a mirror of ourselves. A reflection of what God had in mind when he created this poor, bare, forked animal. Human beings were, after all, created in the image of God. Jesus reveals what that image should look like. One of his last statements before dying Jesus prayed, Father forgive them all of them, the Roman soldiers, the religious leaders, his disciples had fled in darkness you, me, who have denied him in so many ways, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing Only by becoming a human being could the Son of God truly say with understanding they do not know what they are doing He had lived among us Now He understood. And that is The Jesus I Never Knew by Philip Yancey. It's a good read. I recommend it. So, with that, study Jesus, read about him. Because the more you learn about him, the more you fall in love. And as I said before, the story between you and Jesus. And I'll give you an example. You take... And this is crazy because, again, even how the book states, like Zeus. Zeus never loved anybody. Allah oh, never loved anybody. The Quran doesn't state anything about their God loving... Um, the people or whatever. I mean, none of that stuff states love, but then our Bible says God is love. So, let me give you an example. A young man, well, I wouldn't even say young man, a a little boy. A little boy likes the girl that lives next door. They're young. Maybe 9 years old. He likes her but doesn't say anything. He just shows it. If she falls, she picks him up. I'm sorry. If she falls, he picks her up. If she drops her books, He's there to pick him up and help her. If she needs help with homework, he's there. He doesn't have to say, I love you. Or, I like you. He shows it. As the young girl grows up, as her body begins to change, the young men begin to notice her. That analogy is the world the world begins to notice her. And she falls in love with people that didn't really love her in the first place. Because all this time, before she ever became beautiful in men's sight, this little boy loved her all alone. And after her being taken advantage of so many times by the cruel young men, that little boy, now a young man himself, steps in to defend her. And she realizes all this time she was looking in all the wrong places, loving people that never really truly love her back. And what she was looking for was there all along. It was that little boy that grew up with her, picked her up when she fell, helped her with her bike when her chain broke, helped her pick up her books when she fell, when she dropped her books, whatever, he was always there. And so she begins to love him back and they fall in love and they live happily ever after. That is the love story that Jesus Christ wants to have with every single one of us. We are the church. The church is his bride. God wants us. He loves us. That story isn't, it isn't as simple as that, is it? A lot of times, the reality is the young girl leaves the, the, young, the, the young boy for the world sometimes. Then she finds her way back. Then she leaves again. Then she finds her way back. Then she leaves again. Then she finds her way back. But it doesn't have to be that way. Because God doesn't change. He will not stop loving you. So if you fall head over heels in love with Him. That's all He ever wanted. Just imagine how hot, happy. Jesus Christ would be if His church served Him because they love Him instead of just because it's how they were raised it's what they were born in or because they're afraid to die without being saved why are they serving Him? Let's create a world of people that serve God a group of people that serve God because they love Him. With that, I think that's a pretty good time End that portion of the episode and kind of go through a few things here. Um, number one, if you haven't emailed me or gotten contact with me and you have questions, here it is I am fortress27 at gmail.com. You can reach me through that email address. You can also find me on my Facebook page at Lester Martin Jr. You'll notice me because usually I have pictures of me standing in front of a Ram 1500. It'll say I'm from Waynesboro, Georgia. Follow me. Hit me up on Messenger. I don't really do much on Instagram, but I'll even share my Instagram with you. It's Martin Junior. Dot Lester. Um, I also have Twitter. I don't really post much on Twitter, but I'm going to have to start soon. It's um, at lestermartin Seven. So reach me through Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or via email. Please. With questions, with concerns, if you have an idea for the next episode, please, I am open to all of your ideas. If you want me to read a book or review it, make sure it's clean and uh, related, at least somewhat, to what we go over here. Um, And with that just want to say thank you all for listening thank you all for staying faithful and i just pray that you would pray for me as i pray for you that we all stay faithful together and i hope that this episode would kind of push people to be more faithful because if you really fall head over heels i mean you got to want to do everything you can to fall in love and just keep that love and make it stronger so You're willing to give up those things that you like, that you know are wrong. You're willing to give up sin. You're willing to give up the shame and the junk from the past. You're willing to move forward if you're really in love. And the only way to really be in love is to keep on spending time together. Keep on finding more to love. So with that, I'm going to call it a day here at the I Am Forces Podcast. Y'all have a blessed one. Stay at it.